Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. It's relatively easy to feel overwhelmed with the trials and complications we face daily. Thank you, Jesus, for your living word, full of infinite wisdom and knowledge. Join us as we go through a sermon series in the book of Proverbs called Skillful Living. My name is Keith Bauer. I'm, uh, I've served with Pastor Icky at City of Refuge before he came here, and, and Julie and I are now part of this wonderful family, and we're delighted to be here. In April of 2008, after 21 years of full-time pastoring and part-time professoring, I became a project management consultant in the oil and gas industry. That's right. <laughs> Julie and I were moving from vocational suburban ministry to volunteer urban ministry, and I needed a job. And that, amazingly enough, was the job God gave me. But, you know, after just a few months in oil and gas, I realized that uh, I owed a lot of people an apology. For over 20 years, I'd been preaching and teaching about faith at work and all that, but what I discovered very quickly is that it turns out that living a Christ-centered, God-honoring life in the workplace is a lot harder than I ever imagined. And I didn't do it well at all. Within a year, my life was pretty much out of control. Um, Insane travel, I was one of those people with two passports. I was traveling so much. I'd have one end getting a visa while I was traveling with the other one to get home, swap them out, and off I'd go again. Uh, Messed up schedule, I was on the road over half the time. traveling to like 25 different countries and very, very busy. Uh, Fruitless spiritually. You know, I was bearing a lot of fruit professionally. You know, you'd think that as a pastor, I'd get the whole Christian at work thing down and that I wouldn't know how to do the oil and gas stuff. Turns out it's the exact opposite. I did the oil and gas stuff fine, but I just crashed and burned on the Christian at work stuff. And, And a lot of stolen glory. If you know that expression from the military, when you're wearing a medal you didn't earn and the glory really belongs to somebody else, I was, I was trafficking in stolen glory because God had done a lot in my life over the years and changed me in ways that I could never have changed myself. And yet, uh, you know, people got to experience that nice guy, but I wouldn't give God the credit. And looking back, I consider that stolen glory. And of course, all of this was reinforced by a crazy good salary and bonuses. And, and it all came to a head one Sunday night in Moscow uh, during a Skype call with Julie. Uh, she had seen the train wreck that I was heading toward a lot sooner than I had, and that night she convinced me. And so I called up the client. I had another week's worth of meetings there scheduled, and I just said, I'm not going to be able to make those, and they were, they were understanding, surprisingly enough. And I went home, but you know, it, it took me another year to get out of that, another year. Um, Now, 14 years later, uh, I actually work full-time helping Christian business leaders walk with God in the marketplace, just to figure out how are they going to close the gap between their faith and their work. And and I understand that, you know, that's a challenge for a lot of people, the challenge of uh, fitting a full-time job into a Christ-centered life. And that's what I want us to talk about today, how to do that, because you can do it. There's a a way to make it work. But to start with, I want us to look at uh, 
some sort of a surface view of the problem, you know, the, the way, the problem we experience it as we experience it on the surface, and then some sort of superficial solutions. Then I want us to look at the real problem and some real solutions to that. The surface problem is simply this, is that the world's view of work doesn't easily fit into a Christ-centered life. It just doesn't fit very well at all. If you pursue the, your professional life the way the world tells you you should, what you quickly discover is it doesn't leave a lot of room for the, the personal life, relational life, the spiritual life that you know God's called you to. But on the other hand, if you prioritize and pursue that spiritual side of life, you discover that it quickly begins to encroach on, on your professional life. And so you live with this constant tension, this constant challenge. And see, that tension, that challenge that a lot of you live with every day is what I was completely unaware of when I was a full-time pastor. I had no idea. I had no idea what it was real. You could have told me that. I'm sure a lot of people tried to, but I didn't appreciate the enormity of it until I got caught in it myself. But there's some sort of surface solutions, though, that we try. Uh, and they really can boil down to three words, uh, boundaries, balance, and, and silos. Uh, we, we start with boundaries. We think, well, I'm just going to create some boundaries between these different parts of my life. And those boundaries include, you know, your schedule, uh, the conversations you have, the things you talk about all the time, just creating boundaries. Well, I'm not going to talk about this here. I'm going to talk about that there. I'm going to limit it in that way. Uh, and sometimes even our thoughts. You know, we need boundaries in our thoughts, saying I need to sort of partition this off so it doesn't encroach on this important stuff, these important people over here. But when that doesn't work, you know, of course, you discover quickly that these things just knock through these barriers and things start knocking up against each other. And you're, so you go to balance. And, and really, you're, you're trying to balance these things, but it's really more like juggling. How am I going to juggle all these different competing commands and thoughts and things and concerns and worries, all these things that are, that are draining me? But you know what a lot of people do, though, is they just take the silo approach. They got Jesus over in one silo and the job over in the other silo, and they just kind of live parallel lives. While they're on the job, they're, on, they're all about the job, and, and who they are is almost indistinguishable from who everybody else is. And then when they go home and they go to church, they're all about Jesus, and they're all about family, and you know, that's where they're really different from the people at work. But they've got these two things siloed away from each other. And it turns out none of those approach really, they really work very well. None of them do. Uh, you still struggle, you still have the problem, and it's because that surface problem is, is really not the real problem. The real problem is this. The real problem I've discovered through the years is that we're buying into the world's view of work and then trying to make it fit into a Christ-centered life. We're just taking the work idea the way the world offers it to us, and we're just accepting it uncritically. And then we're trying to make that stuff fit into a life that we really want with Christ and with family and with friends and relationships and all those important things. But it's, it doesn't. And that's the real problem, is that we're taking the world's view of work and trying to fit it into a Christ-centered life. The real solution is this, is that God doesn't look at work the way world, the world does. God actually looks at it pretty differently. And so God has an entirely different view of work, and, and it fits perfectly, it turns out, into a Christ-centered life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. God's view of work and how it can fit perfectly into a Christ-centered life. Now, by the way, there's a lot of material here today, and some of you might want to write a bunch of stuff down. Don't worry about that. Uh, I'll tell you 
at the end how you can get not only complete notes of what I'm sharing today, but also a little bonus material that I knew I wasn't going to have time for. So I'll tell you at the end how you can find that, and uh, that's there waiting for you. So we're going to look, first of all, at uh, God's view of work and four principles. And there's a lot you could say about this, and a lot of great stuff's been written on it, but just from the work I do full-time with Christian business leaders every day, uh, I, I lead groups in, in Houston and College Station and Brenham, uh, these are the things that strike me just from experience as being the really significant ones that are really eating people's lunch today. The real challenges that people face. And so I focused in on these four. Uh, the first one is this, and this I think is a principle a lot of people find surprising, is that work is actually part of God's plan for paradise. Now last week Joel was talking about uh, Genesis 2.15. There we see that before the fall of humanity into sin, God had actually assigned Adam responsibilities in the garden. So even in the Garden of Eden, there was work involved. And when Jesus talks about eternal rewards, you'll notice he tells people, you've been faithful in a few things, I'm gonna make you ruler over many things. And he's talking about eternity. So apparently, there are roles and responsibilities in eternity. So this, this way we have of looking at work as kind of a negative, as a necessary evil, that's not the way God looks at it at all. Unfortunately, if you buy into the world's way of looking at work, you can quickly start to experience that. But, it, but that's not the way God looks at it. And that's not what God wants for us. What God's intention is, you know, he's made all these amazing provisions in the world, but it's through work that you turn your gifts into blessings for yourselves and for other people. And this was God's intention from the beginning. It's still his intention today between Eden and eternity. And so this is a series on Proverbs. So I started looking through Proverbs, and I can tell you, there's not, a, just in my experience, there's not a whole lot of Proverbs that doesn't apply to your work life. It's just all there. Uh, but I focused in on a few things that kind of make the points I'm trying to make. And to begin with, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16. The wages of the righteous lead to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16. And then verse 22 said, the blessing of the Lord makes rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. A couple of things I want us to see here. First of all, notice that first verse. The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. It's the same profit. It's the, it could be the same job. The wage of the one leads to life <coughs> in that biblical sense. That, that quality of life that we really long for. But that same job and the same wages for the unrighteous leads to sin. So the problem isn't on the front end. The problem is who it is that's doing this job and who we are and whether we're adequately oriented toward Christ in the doing of it. And we'll unpack a lot of this as we go along. But I want you to see at this point that it's really, it can be the same job. It can be the same salary. One leads to life. The other leads to sin. Then verse 22 says this, the blessing of the Lord makes rich. And notice, he adds no sorrow to it. There's no sorrow with that. So what we see here is that if you're experiencing, because of your work, if you're finding that you're being drawn into sin and a life that you know God didn't want for you, and, and it brings sorrow with it, then what these verses tell us is that the problem might be with us. Because it's actually possible 
to do that same work in a way that leads to life, where there's no sorrow with it. Also, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. This verse is often one you look at for giving. You know, you're supposed to give at church. And so, you know, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And what I see here is this. Honoring the Lord with all that I produce. That makes a direct connection between the work I'm doing every day, no matter what it is, and the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. That if I honor the Lord with the very best of everything I do, and this is explicitly referring to what I produce in the work that I do, what is God's promise? Well, his promise is is that, that he's gonna bless you. And notice the key difference isn't necessarily what you're doing for a living. The key difference is who you're doing it for, whether you're honoring the Lord with it. And so the first principle I want us to hold on to is that work is actually part of God's plan for paradise. It's actually part of God's plan for blessing us and others. And if for you it's turned into a burden and and heartache and and sinful patterns in your life and, and sorrow, then there's a good chance that you're approaching work wrong and not in the way God intended. First point. Second point, and this one's huge. I have one life and one master, Jesus. If there were one issue, I think this, that most people really struggle to overcome in this issue of how to integrate a, a, a life of work into a life that's centered on Christ, it's this one right here. This idea that I just have one life and one master, and it's Jesus. You know, the the challenge is, and this goes back to the silo illustration I used earlier, a lot of us are living two lives, and we're living those two lives with two different masters. We're going to talk a lot about that this morning, because I think that's a big root of the problem. But notice what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. My bet is that most of you know this verse, but I wonder if you've looked at it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. You think, well, that's a familiar verse. I've known that since I was a child. Yeah, but, you know, it's amazing that I've missed all these years the impact of all your ways. What does it mean to trust in God in all your ways? Well, that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? And it necessarily includes work. It includes your career, whatever it is you do for a living. To trust in him, in that too. To honor him in that too. Notice, in all your ways, work included, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him, who? The Lord, Yahweh. This is one of those instances where the Hebrew word Yahweh is translated with the word Lord, but it's, it's the covenant God in everything you do, including your work, acknowledge the lordship of your covenant God, the God with whom you live and breathe in covenant relationship, because he is Lord there as surely as he is Lord right here. And that's something a lot of people forget. Now, that's what happens when you live in those 
those, those silos, those parallel worlds. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And that verse, in my view, puts finger right on the problem of those surface solutions we were talking about. Remember those surface solutions? The first one was, was, was boundaries. Okay, this is hard. I need boundaries in my life. And so we, we set up those boundaries and, and don't realize that we're actually setting up boundaries between two different lords, two different masters. Over here, the world is in charge. Over here, the boss, not the boss, but my earthly boss, that, he's in charge, she's in charge over here. Over here, this is expected of me. This is what success looks like over here. Over here, well, that's the Jesus side of the boundary. And so what we're actually doing without realizing it very often is the boundaries we create are a way of trying to manage the impossibility of serving two masters. The reason it's hard is because, well, Jesus says you can't do it. But no, no, I think I've got this. I think I'm going to try. I'm going to put boundaries up between these two masters I have in my life. Or, okay, those boundaries don't work. They just come crashing down and things come barreling through. So, so I'm going to balance those. I'm going to juggle those. And you're, you're actually juggling two masters. And Jesus says, you can't do that. But, you know, he'll wait for you to try. He'll watch and he'll kind of think, oh, boy, someday they'll figure this out. But what so many of us end up doing is just sticking the two in silos and just living parallel lives and we try not to think about it. And that's kind of the mistake I was making in a way. I mean, it haunted me. At the time, I was an elder in Nikki's church. And I remember one year, I didn't even get to an elder meeting until like June because I was gone all the time. I was part of the search committee that found him at City of Refuge in the first place. I was at a search committee meeting at 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning in a hotel room in Moscow. And so I've lived that division. And, I've got, and I can tell you, it doesn't work. So, this is really, in a sense, the most important thing you're going to learn today. This. Jesus is Lord of all, including my work. He is Lord of all, including my work. He's the boss. He's the owner. Mostly I work with Christian business owners, and one of the main things they have to learn is that they're not actually the owner. If Jesus is Lord of all, he's the owner. What are they? Well, they're just, they work for him. They're, they're stewards. They're, they're managers of, of the Lord's resources. And that's true, not only if you're the business owner, but true if you're an employee. You're working in the company. Who are you working for? Who's the boss? Well, you've got a boss that, you know, you report to, uh, immediately, but there is another boss that you report to eternally, and you are his servant, his steward, his manager. He has entrusted to your care not just this job, but a set of relationships. He's entrusted to your care not just this job, but this thing that you're making for people. Maybe it's a product, maybe it's services, but you're making this for other people, and, and it's going out to them. And, he's and he cares about those people as much as he cares about you. And so he's entrusting that responsibility to you. He's maybe entrusted people to you. There may be people who report to you. And he's entrusted the leadership of those people to you. 
And you're a steward of all of that. The resources, the relationships, the time, all these amazing people that he's put around you. Even if they don't report to you, there's still relationships for which we are responsible. You know, I just realized at some point, I was actually a wholly owned and operated subsidiary of Jesus of Nazareth. That's who I am. That's what I do. Now, there is a problem, by the way, I think with this, this work-life balance thinking, because I think it concedes the two masters reality right up front. And then it tries to figure out how to balance it. And you know, you really only have one life. And work is part of that. It's not all of it, but it is a big part of it. And so it's not like work and life are two separate things that somehow one revolves around the other or you got to balance the two. No, 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 no. You have one life. And it includes work. Then it's your responsibility to figure out how to honor God with your entire life, including the work part of it. You can't get away with just balancing the two as though they were separate things. So that way of thinking, I can encourage you to just dismiss. Because I think it accepts this two-master idea and then tries to do, make the best of it. But third point, my primary professional responsibility is to love God and serve others. That's part of God's view of work. My primary professional responsibility is to love God and serve others. You may be thinking, well, you know, I'm pretty sure that's not what my boss is paying me for. Well, think again. Think again. Because the issue isn't what you do for a living. The issue is how you do it. The issue is for whom you do it. Now think back of the things I said just a moment ago. If your responsibility includes the leadership of people, don't you think it matters how you lead them? Don't you think it matters that you're leading them the way Jesus would lead them, that you're loving the people around you, whether you lead them or not, the way Jesus would love them? Don't you think it matters that the goods and services that you produce are of such excellence and such quality that you would willingly offer to the Lord himself as a sacrifice, as Malachi 1 talks about. And therefore, you can freely and with good conscience offer it to others. See, this is what this is talking about. That's my primary professional responsibility is to do whatever it is I do in a way that loves and serves God and people. And Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4 talks about this. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man, including your boss. I just add that part in there. But notice what this says. Love, steadfast love, faithfulness. This sounds like great commandment stuff. Love God, love people. He said, don't forsake that stuff just because you're leaving your apartment or your home in the morning and your house in the morning and going to work. Don't check that stuff at the door or in the parking garage. Bring it in with you. And as you bring in that, that steadfast love for God and people and that faithfulness to him, there's a promise God makes to you. You'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. People don't mind being led this way. People don't mind being loved this way. People don't mind having someone with this kind of character reporting to them. You just made their job a whole lot easier. Nobody minds buying a product or a service for someone who makes it with such excellence and passion and diligence and quality that, that, that they'd be willing to offer it to the Lord as, a, as, a, as an act of worship. 
Only you get to receive it as a customer. Nobody minds that. So my primary professional responsibility is really to live out that great commandment. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Point number four, God will judge my work by his standards, not the world's. You know that problem of that two masters thing? Is you end up with two sets of standards. And this is one of the biggest things you have to ask yourself. This is huge in your professional life, no matter what you do. Who is shaping my definition of success? Who's defining success for me? Because let me tell you, if you're running with a crowd, you probably need to find out whether you're running in the same direction. Because the chances are good that if the crowd you're running with includes people who do not know Christ as Savior, their definition of success is missing some things that are included in your definition of success. And if that's true, why are you running with them? Why are you letting them define success for you? God is going to judge my work by his standards, not the world's. Proverbs 15.3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Every place, including where you work. And as he looks and watching you at work, he is never going to say, well, that's just business. He's never going to say, well, you know, the boss is putting pressure on her. His eyes are in every place. Keep a watch over the evil and the good. And one of the most important verses in all of this, in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, you know this passage. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation of Jesus Christ context survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, though as one passing through the flames. God will judge my work by his standards, not the world's. So it's just four principles. But if they're true, they really invite from us three commitments. First commitment is this. I will choose my life over my lifestyle. I will choose my life over my lifestyle. Let me tell you what happens. You grow up accustomed to a certain standard of living or you aspire to that. You go to college, you know, major in something that promises to be able to sustain that standard of living in your life as an adult for your family. And so you study all this stuff, you finish your degree, and you apply for jobs, you get one of those jobs and you start to work and it just starts going downhill. Just boom, 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 boom downhill. You boom, you hit the bottom of the hill and you say to yourself one morning, I think I need some boundaries. Well, yeah, you do. But not at the bottom of the hill. You needed the boundaries back at the top. And the top of the hill is where you're making fundamental choices of life or lifestyle, which is more important to me. And you gotta decide that. Now, that's not a one-time life decision. It's a decision you make over and over again. And, you know, it's a decision I had to make that night in Moscow, but it still took me another year to pull the trigger on it. But you have to ask yourself, what kind of life do I want? 
And what I ended up doing, by the way, is I ended up leaving that company and starting my own consulting firm that focused just on Gulf of Mexico projects so we wouldn't have to travel as much. It made a huge difference. But you run with, with that, you get all the attendant risk of starting your own business and it was right into the teeth of a downturn and the consultants are always the first ones to be fired. And so yeah, you give up a lot. I left that job on September 15th, which meant I left like two thirds of a year of accrued bonuses. And believe me, annual bonus, what I was getting in that business was a lot more than I was making usually as a pastor. But at some point, you have to choose your life over your lifestyle. And you have to keep making that choice because the world would say, I don't know, the lifestyle stuff's pretty important. Proverbs 15, 6, 15, 16, sorry. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great trouble and uh, great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. In Proverbs 21, 17, Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Not in the way you want to be. Not in the way you want to be. Secondly, I will work with diligence and pursue excellence. I will work with diligence and pursue excellence. Here's what often happens. You realize that the work, the job is asking more of you than you really thought it would or you hadn't really sized it up properly and now the demands are just too much and it's encroaching on So you just kind of ease up a little bit you kind of slack off a little bit. Um, that's not necessarily a God-honoring option. Proverbs 18.9 says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Now, in my case, the boss, when he hired me, said one quarter of the time is international travel. It ended up being over half the time. The terms changed. But I recognize that, you know what? This is what the job requires. This is really what the job requires. And I do not want to meet those requirements. So I'm going to, take the hit and I'll change jobs and I'll just do something else. But I'm not going to keep the job and not be good. You know, it goes back to that Malachi 1 principle where the Lord says to the prophet Malachi, look at what you're offering me. Would you offer that to your governor? Come on. And that, that brings up the excellence point. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ. One of the most important verses in this whole discussion, no matter what you do, you are serving the Lord Christ. And if you accept the responsibility to do a job, do it with the excellence that honors him or get a different job because it does not reflect well on him and it does not honor him to be slack in our work. I will work with diligence and pursue excellence. Finally, I will embrace my work as my primary ministry and mission field. And that's the great opportunity we have. That's the fundamental difference between God's way of viewing work and the world's way. Because the way God views work is he sees the people you're around. And he sees the way you serve them, the way your business happens to serve them. He sees the, the vendors and the, the fellow employees and the customers you serve. And those people matter to him. And it matters to him how those people are treated. It matters how those people are led. It matters how you talk to people over the phone and how you greet them when they're in your office or in your place of work. All that stuff matters to him because those people matter to him. It's really all about bringing the great commandment and the great commission into the workplace. And by the way, it starts way before that moment where you try to present the gospel to him. Way before that. And includes a great deal more than that. 
But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says this, for the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He goes on to say, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It will lead, optimally, ideally, we pray, to opportunities to share the gospel. But there's a lot of Christ-honoring behavior and leadership interactions with people upstream of that. So really, the, the organization I'm part of is called C12, and one of our little taglines is building great businesses for a greater purpose. So I want to challenge you to build a great career for a greater purpose. It's not just a way of, of supporting your family. It's the people that God has put you around most of the time. It's the, it's the greatest expression in many ways of the talents that he gave you and turning those talents that he gave you into blessing for people in countless ways, not just customers, but the people you work with. It's this amazing mission field. And so many of us sit around looking at all these people that God's put with us, trying to figure out how we can get those people to church. And yet if the Christians in the workplace were to pull together and say, how can we be on mission for Christ here? Not just sharing the gospel in this sort of awkward, sudden way, but how can we be on mission for Christ? It'd be absolutely transforming. Absolutely transforming. Now I want to invite the prayer team to come up because I realize that this is challenging to a lot of people, this issue. There are a lot of you who are really struggling right now with the, the divide between what you spend most of your time doing every week and the things and the people that really matter to you most. This is a hard challenge. And for some of you, it might mean just a change of mindset and commitment right where you are Others, it might mean something a little bit scarier, a bigger change. Some of you, it might include a boldness to speak out in a way you've never spoken out before. Others, it might just be a matter of leading differently. But this is gonna go deep into who you are. And, and a good way to start if you need it is to go up and let one of these people pray with you about, about how that's gonna work. Let me close in prayer real quickly. Father, I thank you for this wonderful place and these dear people, and all the people that you've put in their sphere of influence. And I pray that we could honor you with our work lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch app to find community in the body of Christ.